Um, who here has not met Andy and Teresa before? Not heard them before? There's a few of you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, I, w I wanted to, um, just for the sake of folk that have not heard from you guys before, yeah. I thought it might be fun just to ask you a couple of questions. Go for it. So um, let's start with some non-churchy okay. sorts of questions. So um, how long have you guys been together and what do you love doing when you're not in church? Uh, well, we're dead chuffed because it is our 40th wedding anniversary. Yeah. Yay! And, uh, <laughs> um, so we're treating ourselves. This is the first year where we've not had elderly, ill relatives, and all our children are at their spouses for Christmas. So on the 20th of December, we are getting in a train from Glasgow and we're going by train all the way to Switzerland where Christmas. for Christmas and somebody else is going to cook and wash and clean up and uh, we're, in the, we're in Interlark and there's loads of little trains that you can go that take you up to the mountains. So we're going to do that. The highlight for me will be sitting in the James Bond uh, rotating restaurant, which is on the top of one of the mountains, that I'm desperately hoping sells martinis. Um, yeah, shake and not <laughs> so we're very excited about this, um, aren't we? Yeah. And what what do we do? You can tell he's really excited. I was thinking about the other question. Oh, no, it's. Yeah, we, we've got a whole load of things we're doing to celebrate. We figure 40 years is yeah, yeah, we're going to spread it just out one party is not enough. Yeah, so no, no, we're, enough. Gonna, we're doing a number of things, so that's fun. Yeah. Um, well, if we weren't here with you, we would be watching Strictly. Yeah, we would. So that's a, you know, this, this is what we've laid down to be with you tonight, uh, which means we can't vote because we'll just have it on the, rec you know, on the recording on the... The V plus box or whatever it is we've got at home. Yeah. So that's one of the things we do when we're not in church is watch Strictly. What else we do we do? We've got eight grandchildren, so that keeps us busy. Uh, seven of which are in Glasgow. Yeah. So that's fun. Last week, if you'd come into the kitchen, you'd have thought an atomic bomb would have gone off because we were making gingerbread biscuits, which involves, as you know, for anyone who's made gingerbread biscuits, it involves vast amounts of sugar. Um, <laughs> You could smell it in the air when you walked into the kitchen. So that was fun. Yeah, we made gingerbread houses. Uh, this, we do this every week. This is just preparation, preparation for Christmas. So like our grandkids, we got the gym. Yeah. Although it doesn't look like we do, but we do, <laughs> honest. Um, just to think what we could be like if we didn't. Uh, that, that, so you've mentioned Glasgow. Yes. Um, why, how long have you been in Glasgow and why don't you have Scottish accents? Good question. Because we are originally from England. I'm from a place called Nantwich and Andy's from Birmingham. And we got saved in the late 1970s and have progressively moved north. So first place we went was Chester. Then we went up to um, Newcastle-upon-Tyne and from there we went to Glasgow. That's why we haven't got Scottish accents. Um, but we've really felt God speak to us about moving to church planting to Glasgow and to build a new culture of church there. 
So that's what we've been doing for the last 17 years. We started off in our house with about 10, and we are yeah. now in the city centre yeah. and rent this fabulous old traditional church building, which is glorious. Yes and amen, that's, that's the story. <laughs> and I am, I am a brummy. I could revert if you want proof, but you may not enjoy the evening. I think you should. <laughs> I think I should. Yeah. Maybe I'll throw a bit of brummy in during, during the night. So um, could you just let us know what is good in Glasgow? What's God doing? What's happening in the church? What are you excited about? I was going to do what's good in Glasgow is a, Glasgow is an amazing city that has reinvented itself uh, with a lot of energy from its industrial past. Uh, we are been? very very proud of the city. It's beautiful. You've been. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've been. <laughs> it, it it has the second most popular concert, uh, conf, not conference, but concert type venue in the world. Um, it, is, it is a buzzing, productive place. It's, it is quite incredible to be there. Um, in terms of the church, I think we've just been on this amazing, at times a really challenging journey of changing our culture, really to embrace the notion that heaven is constantly invading the earth and how do we host his presence, yeah. not have an occasional visit, how do we build something that is both... Uh, relationally and attitudinally good for that and we have enjoyed hundreds of miracles in the last yeah, we have. 10 years and they're still happening so I have a story which I was going to tell um, a friend of ours we somebody came new to church and got a word of knowledge but was too ner nervous to bring it from the front so they told one of the guys who was leading the meeting this word of knowledge which was to the gist of they saw a back that was like golden and it was being put into place and the guys leading the meeting said well will you share it Andy because you're going to speak so this is like second hand at least when I share this and, and it, we felt it had a dual application one was probably physical to someone or some people's actual backs and secondly that something God was doing with us as a church which was strengthening our the spine of who we were. So we, we shared this. We always do ministry time at the end. And I actually don't think really much happened. So I'm like, oh, oh well, never mind. Then next week, uh, a woman in our church called Mary Lou comes and tells us that she woke up on Monday. She was been out in children's ministry. She woke up on Monday morning, hadn't even known there's been a word of knowledge, woke up on Monday morning and 20 years of back problem had disappeared. She woke up in no pain, no discomfort, you know, movement. And she's like, she couldn't believe it. And then, so she checked it the next day, next day. And then she was in the small group and they said, oh, yeah, there was a word of knowledge about that. She, wasn't, she didn't hear it. She wasn't there, but she got healed and she's still healed. That, that's a good story, isn't it? That's amazing. So we see stuff like that happen. It just keeps I've happening. Got a story. I've got a friend called Michelle, and um, Michelle came from quite a troubled background, and as a result of this, she'd self-harmed quite a lot. So she went away to an excellent ministry called Mercy Ministries in Bradford, and we were all extremely proud of her because she did all the hard work there to get 
some of the internal things sorted out. And it's an excellent facility uh, for anyone who's interested. They do a six-month residential course for younger women who have um, issues of that sort. Anyway, she came back, a different woman. Really worked hard and is a, a complete joy and is increasingly growing in courage and inspiring us all. Anyway, to me, the icing was a cake on the cake was we had this healing meeting. And uh, at the end of the healing meeting, she goes up to Ahab, who's doing it, and says, look. And he's like, there's nothing there. What am I looking at? She says, all my scars have disappeared. She was completely healed of all her scars. And what was fun was she took a photograph. She'd taken a photograph before of her scars because she knew God was going to heal her. And then she took a photograph after. And then what she's done is she's um, showed other people the photos of, and sent the photo of the healed arms and things to people. And they've got healed. That's fun, isn't it? But I just loved it. It's my favourite, favourite miracle. <laughs> the, uh, you have to be married 40 years to do that and, and not have a serious sort of argument at the end of the meeting. It's just... We've worked a lot of stuff out in 40 years, haven't we? Yeah, it's, we been, it's been great. Um, we still struggle microphone sharing, though. <laughs> yes, you do. So I, I, shared, I went to a little group right up in Inverness and shared this story and we had an incredible time. This is more than a year ago now, but there was a woman there, a number of other things happened, but there was a woman there in her 50s who'd self-harmed in her teens and she just went to the bathroom and came back and it had all gone. And I just feel there's something on this story right now in this room. Uh, both the backstory and this, you know, about the testimony. As Brits, we tend to listen to testimony and we're blessed when we hear that somebody else got blessed. Are we not? It, you know, it encourages us, doesn't it, to hear all the way up in Glasgow, this happened, and we're like, yay, Jesus can do it, yay, thank you, Jesus. Um, but, but God's training us to hear the story different. Because it, there's something where we detach from the story rather than engage with the story. It's amazing. If you step into this, what God did is a prophecy of what he wants to do in this room right now. Yeah. But, but attach yourself to it as a thing for you. Think of it as like his voice is speaking to you now through that story. Yeah. Not it's a detached story some months ago in someone else's history. That, that's the meaning of testimony. It happened so that it can happen again, so that it can happen for you. Um, so you know, some of you may need to check things in the bathroom later. That's great. Good, we, um, we just want to say we so appreciate you two. Um, they've been, and in Teresa have been connecting with us for, um, well, more actively in the last sort of three or four years. But um, uh, so we feel really blessed um, to have had you in the church context with us, but also behind the scenes with us as a team, working things out over the last few years particularly. Um, so thank you so much for being with us. Aww. And uh, I'm not going to ask you any more questions. Uh, other than... Uh, no. Thank you.
Thank you. Thanks. I wonder, could you turn me down a little bit, or I feel very, a, a little bit like this is the Lord, <laughs> which I'm believing it will be. Um, I, I bought the, the book which uh, someone very close to me, i.e. me, wrote, um, and you can buy one for the princely sum of 10 quid. Uh, it is available on Amazon uh, as a hard copy, well, paperback, but it's going to cost you £12.80 because of the postage and the rest of it. So it's, it's called Relentless Hope, Supernatural Christianity Establishing a New Normal. And it really fundamentally it's dealing with the journey out of natural Western thinking, disappointment into experiencing the supernatural life of God. And what happens is we, we set off on this journey and we'll hear about Bethel or we'll go to Bethel or we'll see somebody who's doing stuff and we'll go, yeah, and then we'll have a go and then it stops working is the way we think about it. And then we get disappointed, so then we stop doing it and then we think it must be for other people, but that, none of that is true. That's Western logic. That's not biblical perspective or the heart of God for you. And, and so this... It works through things like disappointment. It works through developing uh, supernatural culture in the way we behave and the way we think. It works through what do we think about healing in terms of a biblical basis because some people still aren't convinced that it's God's will 100% to heal them. And then it's very difficult to get healed if you're, you think you're ill because it's his will. And, and, and I go about showing that it's always... God's will is that you are well. Right, can you say that with me? God's will is that you are well. Well, let's say it, make it, but God's will is that I am well. Can you say it that way? I am well. The, the, there isn't another will. And sometimes people look at and they read about Jesus and they think he's showing the will of God. Yeah? Jesus was God. So there's not another version of God jumping, going to jump out. Jesus is God. Yes. Jesus is God. Do you believe that in this church? Yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so if Jesus is God, there isn't another God, right? So there isn't another God with another idea. So when we see how Jesus treats sickness, we know how God treats sickness. And Jesus healed everybody who came to him. And some who didn't. Quite a lot who didn't. But never, never, never did he go to someone and say, I can't hear you because God made you sick. It's not his will to heal you. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. And Jesus, remember what we just said? If Jesus is God, you've just, had, you've just seen the will of God. So it deals with all that stuff because as Westerners, we've got all these tangles in our brain and every time I talk about it in a room like this, I can see people's brains and I can see the knots that the enemy has tied in our heads. And when I talk like this, your knots are going, yeah, that can't be true because this is my experience. That's Western thinking. Heaven is invading the earth and we really need to learn as Westerners and as Brits how to keep going in relentless hope that we live in a new normal of supernatural Christianity. And it's, there's tons of stuff in there that I believe will really help you. Lots of great stories of miracles and healings that we've seen as well so commend that to you written by me 
forward by Danny Silk and lots of other excellent people say it's brilliant, so why not buy one? <laughs> Sometimes it's just good to say, that was really a good thing I did. Again, that clashes with a lot of British thinking. He's like, well, he's, he's a bit up himself, isn't he? Well, no, it's a good book. <laughs> I don't think that's being up myself. I think that's being realistic. Oh, dear, I'm already upsetting people in the room. I can tell. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of setting the stage a bit for, for what, I talk, what I want to talk to you about. Um, I, want to talk, I want to talk about equality and leadership and I've already done this a bit with some of the leaders and, and your leadership team are really happy that I'm doing this. This is echoing and affirming where they're coming from. And I think it's been a key issue, if not the key issue, that has locked some things up in this church environment for quite a season. But thank God it's getting unlocked and you have a leadership team who are all on the same page. Hallelujah, glory. That means that things can move forward because when you have a lock-up, it means everything goes static and stuck and people wander around going, what's, what's the problem? Well, I think the problem has got fixed. That doesn't mean it's not, there isn't some difficulty and there isn't some times when you know, there's a changeover in faces. The church, all churches go through these process seasons and people that, that we love just hear God and we, we go through it too. They reassess where they should be and what they should be doing. We feel it, but we want to release and bless and honour them as hopefully they release and bless and honour us. It doesn't mean we're in a desperate place. It just means change is afoot. God is on the move. People are finding where they should be and hopefully we are finding where we're going. Do you see the difference? If you start to get into the what's the problem, what's the problem, you'll have a problem, even if there isn't one. One of the things I just believe God's doing this of this few days is blowing the question mark out of the atmosphere of Oasis Church of what's the problem. There isn't one. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's a perfect church. I'm not saying there's things to work on. But there's not fundamentally something wrong that's going to mean you fall over and trip down a big hole. It's actually, God has set you up for success in this season that you're stepping into. Can, can you say Amen. So, here we go. Bible's at the ready. I was saying last night, I do miss the flick of pages. And you had, that's great, I've got a Bible. Somebody with an actual, I mean, I'm saying this and I don't have an actual Bible. Mine's all in here, but come on, come on, you, you oldies with Bibles. You, <laughs> get them out and rustle those pages all the way to Philippians chapter 2. If you have a device, God bless you, uh, please don't. Please don't WhatsApp <coughs> or watch Strictly with a sound off. I mind it's, it's already over now, isn't it? Um, it's amazing what you can do on these devices, isn't it? Um, oh my. Mm. So Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 7. Let me give you a little bit of background while you get your... One of the massive things God's been saying to the, the body of Christ in the last 10 years has been about identity. I mean, it, like every other message, every other book is about 
who we are. It, do you know who Danny Silk is? Okay, so, so he talks about being powerful people. It, it's, it, the Bible talks about, Bible terms would be, we're sons, we're daughters, we're, 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 we're kings, we're priests. We, we're all indwelt by the Spirit. We, we, we share in the divine nature. We, are, we have been seated with him in heavenly places. All of God lives in all of us. That, that, those are powerful statements about who he's made us. And that then he's given us gifts and we're, we're supposed to happen and change the world. We're, we're those who, are, who have been given a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And we're here to change the world, not be changed by the world. We're here to exercise our gift and our influence in all, all realms of society. As well as strengthen the church because we're basically awesome because of what Jesus did. All right, It's not merit on our part, but he's given us merit. He's given us value. He's given us strength. So this whole identity message is out there, along with a, a, a revolution that's been happening probably for 20 years around the, the realm in the church of bringing equality for men and women. So that, that, that women are the same in terms of they are the same value and have the same ability to function in the body of Christ as any man because it's God who gives the gifts and God is not gender specific in who he gives gifts to. So gifts of leadership can be in women as much as they can be in men and that has also been a, a journey particularly in the body of Christ and it's all centered around this thing we call identity. Who are we? Who has God made us? And how amazing and significant are we, are we truly? Uh, and that's, that's great. And that, start, that sense of getting rid of that orphan spirit and realizing we're sons and daughters. We're not, we're not worms. We're not, we're not, we serve, but we're not servants. We're, we're kings who serve. We're not servants who are trying to be kings. That, that whole revolution has been taking place and it's been, it been affecting the way we're then trying to struggle with, well, what does that mean to the church community? What is it? So we're equal, we're powerful, we're, so what does that mean about our structure? And, 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 and people have kind of grappled with this and not always, I've started to think we've not always come up with the right answers. So I'm, I've been thinking just very recently, I just got started to speak to me again about this subject less than two weeks ago. And so the, this message is you're getting it first because God started to speak to me about it. And I feel like it's a bit of a corrective, a, a biblical anchoring to this process that we're in of finding out what it means to be equal, to be free, but also to be led and to have a structure. Uh, and to, I think some of where we've tried to go is that to get rid of structure and to make everything so flat because everybody's so awesome that we've ended up in a mess. And not only are we ending up in a mess, we're becoming unbiblical in our application of some of these amazing truths. So I want to read some Bible. You ready? So Philippians 2, 1-7, I'm in the ESV. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now that clashes with a lot of what I just said. 
I just said, you're significant, you're awesome, you're powerful. Now, how we applied that in the past was to say, I'm a worm, but you're really awesome. That's not what this is saying. What it's saying is, be the incredible you, and in the security of that, count others more significant than you. Don't make yourself smaller, value others higher. That's different. And you'll see how that works. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this, all right, this is, he's telling us how to think here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this is not something we've got to cook up. We actually, because Christ is in us and we have his mind, we have access to this way of thinking if we choose it. It says, have have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, listen, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So this does not say Jesus stopped being God. It does not say he forgot who he was. It says he knew who he was. But even though he knew who he was, he didn't count that as Equality something to be grasped after. This is making sense so far. Thanks. Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You're all looking up there. Okay, that's because it's on the screen. Good to know. So true true humility, I think, is having a super accurate view of who you are. So we we will look at it later in Romans 12. It talks about having a sober estimation of yourself. It's knowing you, but not you as a worm, not you as a failure, not you as little old me, not as you as insignificant, not you as I, can't, I couldn't say boo to a goose, not you as weak. Those aren't true of you in Christ. That's an old identity that belongs to the past and to another realm. A sober assessment is you as you are in Jesus, your capacity and significance in him. Holding that place we then work like Jesus worked and we start to serve other people and we start to value other people even more highly than we would value ourselves. But we're doing that from a place of giving ourselves incredibly high value. Hello? The trouble is if you don't value you, the value you give to someone else is actually not that amazing and sometimes it's a bit begrudging. It's like, yeah, bless you, you're amazing, I'm a worm. You're just a bit less of a worm than me. Hallelujah. <laughs> See what I mean? It's like, I know I'm made in God's image. I know I'm carrying something really significant. And I love the significance in your life. You're going to take this further than I could take it. You're way more gifted in that than me. That's not now both of us in a hole and just one of us is slightly further up the hole than the other. That's both of us on the mountaintop doing something amazing and some of us are going to do more amazing things than others are you with me okay no more down the hole church that's not where we live that's not what Jesus died to do let's not deny 
his death, resurrection, and its impact on us and our identity. <sighs> Breath, breathe, Andy, breathe. But it's interesting that Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was not in pursuit of equality. Although he had it, actually. And could have legitimately clung on to it or pursued it. He didn't see the pursuit of equality as something that was the thing to do. And he and we are being encouraged in this passage to have the same mind that was in Christ. I hear a lot of chat around the body of Christ, which is we're all equal, we're all equal. But actually, this is saying, don't make, that, don't make that an upfront and center target of your Christian life. He made himself nothing. He poured himself out, is another translation. Took on the form of a servant, even though he was a king. <clears throat> so equality is not a thing to put in the front of our minds if we are in the, in, in, in the business of thinking like Jesus, thought and following his example. And actually, I started to study this and found equality is not a super common New Testament concept or even a commonly used word. Interestingly enough, it is used, and I'll give you some New Testament, the way that it's used in New Testament. There's <clears throat> this example here equality not to be grasped. Excuse me. It's used of Jesus who when he claimed to be the son of God, the Pharisees and that said, you're making yourself equal with God by claiming to be the son of God. That's the same word, equal. Uh, it's used, uh, do you remember the, there's the parable where there's guys who only work for an hour and they get paid the same money as the people who've worked all day and they complain and they said, well, you've given them the same pay, you've made them equal to us. Uh, and it's used in Acts 10 and 11 where Peter is justifying why he baptised. Why did he baptise these Gentiles? And he says it's because they received the same gift of the Holy Spirit that he gave us. And that word same is equal. So they received an equal gift as the one he gave us. Did we bring that bottle of water? Okay, so far? So the Bible works a lot more with our oneness than it does with our equality. And I'll, I'll explain a bit more what I mean. So it emphasises over and over again that we, we have the same Lord, the same faith, the same spirit, the same baptism. We are one body. And that we, we sustain... We, our job is to sustain that unity in our difference. Yeah. And that we don't sustain the unity by becoming equal and the same. We do it by having godly attitudes like humility, submission, value and honour for one another. Yeah. We don't do it by, by making everybody the same. We do it by 
embracing the incredible diversity and behaving with humility, with honour towards the diversity. And that attitude is what makes us and preserves the unity we have already been given. Let's put it that way. So would you uh, flick in your device? We should have like a page sound effect. It should be a page flicking app. To Romans 12. And this is one of many passages we could dip into, but which talks about this unity and diversity at the same time. So Romans 12, verse 3. Oh, well, not quite. Have you got it? Never mind, I'm going to start reading. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment. So I already referred to this. Have an accurate assessment. Each according to the measure, notice this word, some of these words, the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though we are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of the other, having gifts that differ, say differ, According to the grace given to us, let us then, let us use them. If it's prophecy in proportion to our faith, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads, say leads, with zeal. Zeal's a good word, let's say that as well. Leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So sober assessment really means don't think, don't be superior, but don't be inferior either. It's again not permission to think that you're a worm, that you're useless, that you're some sort of mistake, that you even exist on the planet. It's just saying remember who you are. But then it tells us that we're one body. Remember, we're all these one things. We're one body, but. We've all got different gifts. And it tells us not just that they're different gifts, but it says that even that is according to the measure of faith. So like you can have a certain kind of gift, but even the size and scope of that same gift in one person can be different in another person because the measure of grace and the measure of faith is different in that person. So not only are the gifts makers different, but the measure that we're given in those gifts is different. So there's a differentiation within the gifts and between the gifts. There's difference. There's lots of difference. If you hadn't noticed, you're different. You're, you're completely different to anybody else. In fact, I believe you're completely different. I'm completely different to anybody who has ever existed or will, existed or will exist. There is only ever one of me. 
But different. So I made a really long list of all the things that are not the same. I'm not as good looking as Luca. So we're, dif- we're different. <laughs> I'm not as intelligent as Theo. <laughs> we're different, aren't we, Theo? We just are. Yeah. I like you, but we're, we're different. So we have different levels of intelligence. We have different physical appearance, different physical capacities. We have different gifts and different graces and different measures of faith as, we, faith as we've already covered. We have different levels of wisdom. We have different mental capacities. We have different emotional capacities. Is this not true? The Bible tells us that we, we are not equal in revelation. It actually says that apostles and prophets, in, if you read Ephesians 2 and 3, they're uniquely given a revelation of the mysteries of Christ. And because God's decided that way, it says if you don't, basically if you're not listening to the revelation of apostles and prophets, you can't get it on your own. And this is how a body works, is the gifts that one part provides are uniquely available through those gifts. You can't work them up on your own no matter how hard you try. You can only deliver your bits. That, that's what a body is. It's like if you take my eye out and say become an ear, it doesn't matter how hard it tries, it can't hear a thing. But my ear cannot see a thing either. So we need to be able to connect to the differentiation because we need the difference that is different to me. And it has to flow in both directions. So the ear needs the eye and the eye needs the ear. But the ear will, you can't just sit in a room on your own and one day you'll suddenly be able to see and hear all through the same organ. So there's different revelation available to different parts of the body. Independence is a complete curse to the body of Christ. Because it implies that you can't tell me anything. But the way the body is made is, I have to tell you something. Otherwise you will never get it. But also there are things that you need to give to me, otherwise I will never give them, get them. Are we doing okay? Still like me mostly. All right, it's okay. Um, age and experience is not the same. And good experience really counts for something. And the trouble in our culture, it's a bit anti-age. But actually, age can be a benefit if you have good experience alongside it and you can draw on that. But it's different. You know, I can't impart my age to you. Character's different. One of the major factors in choosing leaders in the body of Christ is to do not just with their gifting, but with their character. So when you read in... uh, 1 Timothy 3, I think it is, it talks about the character qualifications to be an elder, to be a leader in the body, and it's, it's about their character. 
And it's making a differentiation. It's saying if you can't meet these standards, you can't be a leader. Not everybody's character is in the same place. Some need a bit more work than others. And in fact, we're warned against making new believers leaders too soon because it could spoil them because they don't have the character to carry the responsibility. They're different. They're differentiated against. They're not the same. They're not ready. They don't have the same amount of character yet as someone who's ready for that. Is this making sense? Character's different. And one of the, another shocking thing is that your, your reward in heaven is not equal. This is not primary school where there are no, you know, like everybody's a winner. Your reward in heaven is actually proportional to the faithfulness with the gifts you've been given. So I know this is a bit shocking, but actually what we receive is different. And you can see that in the parable of the talents because when the, when the, the owner comes back, and he looks at the guy who had one and didn't do anything with it. He actually takes it off him. And not only does he take it off him, he gives it to the guy who's already got five. Well, it's doubled it to ten. So he's now got eleven and the guy who had one has none. That's no fair. But that's heaven economics or difference. Why is this important? Because the way that we do community and church has to reflect difference. So we don't make everybody in the church an elder because not everybody in the church is either gifted to be an elder or has the character to be an elder. Yay! That's good news, isn't it? Now, there are a bunch of things where we are equal. And these are the things that we need to cling on to because these are things that keep us secure and stop us getting into some nonsense. So we all have equal value to God. So even if your gift is different, your value is the same. And this is where we've got confused, I think. Is like we've got to treat everybody the same to make to reflect the fact that they have the same value. You know, we have to deal with people according to their character, their gifting, their measure, their intelligence, their emotional capacity, etc., etc. But they have the same value because the same price was paid for all. We all have the same access to God. So, in creating leadership structures in the life of the church, nothing can happen that can mean that somebody needs to be in place for you to get to God. You don't have to go through somebody. And, and we can veer a bit towards that in charismatic churches, like, oh, I just want to be with that worship leader or that worship band because they're so anointed. And Yeah, I, I agree, that, but, but you don't need them to have access to God with intimacy. You don't need it. As soon as we set in intermediaries, like, all oh, the prophets, they hear God. No, you hear God. 
That, that's, that's inequality we shouldn't have. I'm not saying that we don't need prophets to speak to us, but as soon as they become our only means of hearing God and we don't believe we can hear God, we have put a man or a woman between us and our intimacy with the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That's not right. Um, so we have equal access and intimacy, we have equal value, and we have that equal sense of all being indwelt by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's in us and we're in him, we're in the Father, that incredible, you know, that's equal, we're all there. Isn't that great? But in that desire to understand that bit of equality, I think we've started to fudge the bits where there's difference. And that gets confusing for people. And I think we've got to have a flat structure because we're all equal. No, we have, we have a way of valuing. And what the, the Bible's solution to this is that you honour the least parts. But you don't give them the best. You don't give them the wrong jobs. There's, there's difference. We, we, we've had the chat with our folks because we have a kind of wider leaders group and people saying, we've got so amazing people in our church, why don't you invite them? And it's like, well, we can't invite everybody and actually not everybody is ready to be in this group. Although they're amazing, we're the group, you're the group that we feel God has joined to us as elders for this purpose. Do you see? But we've got to treat every, what's going on is let's treat everybody equally. Let's have another 40 people in this room. But that would become a meaningless group. But something inside is going, we've got to treat everybody the same. But the thing is, everybody isn't the same when it comes to this. Not everybody is carrying the same responsibility in our environment as you guys are. Not everybody has got the character to deal with what we're talking about as you guys do. Not everybody can can dialogue with one another in this room in a way that is honouring and constructive as you guys can. We tried it. We've tried having other people in the room. And if you have the wrong people in the room, it's terrible. Is, is, this, is this making sense so far? Okay. So that structure has to reflect diversity and difference in all those complex ways that we are different. And structure is required for the body of Christ because structure is intrinsic and vital to any body. If you removed all the bone structure from me, I would just be a blob on the floor and I couldn't even speak to you. I couldn't stand up, I couldn't move. I have a skeletal structure. I have friends who are medics and I have all kinds of structures in this body that means these things... Look at that! Look at that! That's amazing! Isn't that amazing? I thought, put your finger in the air! And I have a living finger. It's got, it's warm. feels stuff. Oh, you better stubble starting to grow. Because I have a nervous system. I have blood. I have tendons. I have muscles. I have bones and I have joints. And somehow all those systems and structures all work together so I could go put my finger in the air. 
and talk at the same time. It's a miracle. <laughs> Structure is vital for the body. Things have to be in place and in the right place and they have to be connected to one another. You can't be the blob with a body, not a blob. So that means you need to know who you are, know your spot, know your function and know it connects to the other functions. Now it might not be as prominent as some of the others, but that doesn't matter because our attitude should be that of Christ, which is he came to serve, not to be served. Went a bit squiffy over there when I said that. See, we don't meet people's needs for significance by giving everybody the biggest badge. That need for significance means our hearts need to get healed so that we know that we're sons and daughters, not that we're made equal in our decision-making capacity in the life of the body. Because that's not the way we've been made. Definitely feeling a bit funny in the room at the minute. <clears throat> difference in character, so structure is vital for the body, number one. Number two, difference in character makes some people not ready to lead. Don't lay hands on new, uh, new believers. And some people don't, do you remember in the list? There's a gift of leadership. Don't give people leadership roles who don't have any leadership gift. Ding, ding, ding. God gave people leadership gifts. So let's, get, let's find the people with a gift to lead. You find people with a gift to lead, other people start to follow them. They're usually a bit clearer, a bit more decisive, have a sense of vision where they want to take things. And that has to be okay. Everything can't be a vote of equal strength by all parties. I'm not saying we shouldn't consult, we shouldn't imbibe all the views and help everybody and understand where everybody's coming from, but ultimately leaders have to lead because they've given, God's given that gift into the body of Christ so that it goes somewhere and it doesn't stay stuck. Some have leadership gifts and others don't. So... Leaders should be able to lead in the body of Christ just as much as mercy givers can give mercy, encouragers can encourage, prophesiers can prophesy, which is all these other things in the list. Administrators can administer, leaders can lead. Just simple, isn't it? Simples. Yeah, mercy givers give mercy. We're all happy with that. Amen? Glory. Let, the, let those that are generous give money. Yay, we're really happy about that. Let the people who can prophesy, prophesy. Yeah, we want that, don't we? Yeah. Let the leaders lead. Come on, it's the same thing. It's a grace from heaven. It's a gift of God according to their, their measure. And that because the measure is different, you get different kinds of leaders. You get leaders who are gifted to lead fives or tens. You get some who are gifted to lead hundreds and some have leadership gift for thousands. It, 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 it worries me. I'm like, in our environment, what if someone came in with a gift of, to lead a thousand people? Well, could we cope? Could we honour it? Could we receive it? Could we, or we all go, 
calm down now, calm down, calm down. Calm down, young lady, we know you're an awesome leader, but we're in charge around here. <laughs> calm down, calm down. Do we want to chop the head off the poppy? Do, yeah. do, you, know, do you know that expression? Tall poppy syndrome. You see this field of poppies all growing, and then there's one that grows a bit taller, and they cut it down. And there is a desire in humanity to keep things equal, like we're just going to pull you down. You can see it in our, in our secular culture all the time. You know, they lift people up, they cut them down. They lift them up, they cut them down. You're not allowed to be better than me, ahead of me, more significant than me, more powerful than me. I'm going to find that something wrong with you to make you pull you down to my level. Yeah. That's sick yeah. in the sense of bad sick for the younger ones amongst us. Not in the sense of good sick. You have to get you. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, okay. If, you, if you're over 12, don't worry about it. Um, there you go. Things change so fast, I'm already out of date. That's the trouble. I love you too. Thanks. I complimented you earlier as well. It's just hard to hear, isn't it? The truth. It's true, Andrew. I, um, I'll get some healing prayer later, but not from you. <laughs> So do you understand that that, it, it, that drive to equality can be out of the desire to keep everybody... I wonder when Jesus went back to Nazareth, and do you know how they couldn't receive him? <clears throat> I think that familiarity with Jesus drove the, the mood of that village to the place where they couldn't let him be outstanding. I think that's what's good. This, we know you. We know your brothers. We know your mom. We knew your dad. We knew you were a carpenter. You were amongst us. You were just this ordinary dude. And we can't let you be anything more than that because that threatens and challenges us. And they could have turned it around. They could have, you know the phrase, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It could have, maybe that's the reason. They were just too envious and jealous to allow anything good to come out of Nazareth. Anyway, that's another... Oh, I'm nearly done. I can't remember when I started, so I know I need... But it feels like I should finish soon. <laughs> Are you feeling the same? Yeah, yeah. It's like... That's... Yeah, we did talk, probably. Common fears about leadership, because sometimes we're more enthusiastic about mercy givers and prophets than we are about <gasps> leaders. Gotta keep them contained, can't let them overuse their authority. We can't, it's risky. And, and people get hurt in church, and people carry wounds sometimes because of leadership 
poorly exercised. Sometimes not. I've been a leader a long time, and I know that there are leaders that poorly exercise their leadership, and you find some that are controlling and dominating, but you also find people who are a pain in the neck and blame the leader for their pain. So it's, there's two sides to these stories. Sometimes the, there's leaders that learn to, need to learn not to be controlled because the Bible says that, that tells us that leadership in the kingdom is not lording it over. All right, it's 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 servant-minded, it's empowering. But sometimes I know leaders who are really really good at that, and still people have a problem with them. I think that problem is probably more theirs than the leaders. Oh, I'm so hurt. Well, by what? Well, he didn't see me. Well, did you did you serve? Nobody. I couldn't serve because he didn't see. Well, did you give him anything to see? Well, I couldn't get into my zone because I wasn't given space. Well, why don't you just serve in a zone you are given and then maybe the space might open up for the zone you think you should be in. I didn't start doing this. I started cleaning toilets at Bible Weeks. It wasn't particularly my zone. Rubber gloves, bleach, but... Here, here I am, <laughs> annoying some of you. There we go. <laughs> the gift of leadership. So, yet yeah, we can get this wrong, but that doesn't mean we should abandon the principle. God's given gifts to men and women to be leaders, which means the body needs leaders if it's going to be healthy as much as it needs the generous, the prophet, the prophets, the mercy givers. It needs leaders to be healthy. It needs leaders to be healthy and it needs leaders not just to be in the trophy cabinet. Oh, leaders, yeah, we have some of them. There they are. We've got three of them in a row and we, put, we blocked them in a cabinet and we threw away the key, but we do have them. <laughs> We have leaders, we got them over there. And the prophets, well, they're a pain, so we put them in a bigger, stronger box and lock them up, but we have them. Now they have to be able to function. Because the gift of leadership put nourishment and grace into a church. So I believe the gift of leadership gets expressed through other gifts like apostles, prophets, prophets pastors, evangelists, teachers administrators and on and we need the nourishment and the wisdom that comes through those leadership gifts to be fully operational if we're going to be healthy because Ephesians 4 tells us that as these gifts get released and we get the benefit we grow up into full maturity in Christ if we lock them away in a cabinet because we're scared of them we are going to stay weak and malnourished the gift of leadership protects the environment that we're in from unhealthy influences. The Bible calls them wolves. Now, they're not actual wolves at the door of the church in Chelmsford. There, as to my knowledge, there are no wolves roaming free in the United Kingdom, although they're talking about reintroducing them to Scotland. Actual wolves. This is talking about unhealthy, unhelpful, and evil influences that affect the church. Sometimes they're 
in the form of a person, sometimes in the form of an idea, sometimes in the form of a spirit. Leaders have the nous to see and deal with and the authority to kick out the wolves. Not Most of the mercy givers' gifts people feed the wolves. In my experience, they're so full of love and mercy, they can't spot a wolf to save their life. They invite them in and they give them dinner. You need leaders to go, no, not that one. Sorry, sorry, love, not that one. <laughs> leadership protects the environment. Leadership nourishes the environment. Are we, are we tracking? You need it, you need it, you need it for protection and nourishment. Godly leadership isn't there to lord it over, but empower, we've said that, and release. And godly leadership creates freedom because it makes the place safe for everybody to function and it removes chaos and brings order. If there's no leadership, which means there's no direction and no directive, then you end up with chaos and anarchy in the body of Christ, which is not freedom. It's actually painful, destructive, and means that you get discouraged because you don't go anywhere and all your resources are consumed with doing nothing. If you're not making progress as a community, it means leadership is not functioning. <clears throat> Jesus said it like this, if you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And too many churches are prone to striking their shepherds because they're scared or because they're sore or because they're something else. But the outcome is chaos and scattering of the sheep and people are not pulling together, they're pulling away. That happens when leaders are not able to lead. I think that's what Jesus said. So I'm going to move the view with that and move on. <clears throat> so in order to create freedom and liberty, and in order to express our identity as sons and daughters, the solution is not to make the structure as flat as possible, but to make the structure serve the gifts and the differences that are amongst us. Flat is not the solution. A healthy structure that releases all the gifts is a solution that allows leadership to flourish, allows mercy to flourish, allows every kind of gift to happen. That's a healthy structure. This is making sense because this has affected you guys. I know this has affected you guys and it really is the day to say, let's move on. We're going to have leadership. We're going to love our leaders, and they already love us. Let's go for it. And this has been a, a, a logjam in this church for too long, and I've talked to your leadership team, and they agree with this. So I'm not just coming here and flying by the seat of my pants. Okay? Let's love our mercy givers. Let's love our leaders. Let's love our givers. Let's love our leaders. And let's let them lead us. Um, they're not perfect and they won't be perfect. That doesn't mean they don't have a gift. Are you able to submit to, serve and honour all the gifts in your world? Including the leaders. Yeah. 
Can leaders function to give you direction? That's vision. It's purpose. I believe that as that visionary function happens, everybody starts to find their place for their vision. It's not a squashing of your vision. It's an expanding of your vision. It's creating a space for your vision, for your motivation and for your passion. If you create a a dynamic enough, big enough vision in an environment, everybody starts to be out of place. So my conclusion is to protect the unity of our shared value and experience in God, the biblical prescription to protect our unity is honour, humility and service. Not the flattest structure we can invent. It's an internal attitude, not an external structure that actually makes the, the body be one. That's, that's what we read at the beginning. Have this mindset amongst yourself that was in Jesus who didn't see equality, a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, poured himself out, and saved the world. If Jesus had been preoccupied with equality, we would be dead in our sin. The world would not be saved. That's quite a shocking thought. Too much of the church is preoccupied with being equal, the world is dying. But I want to be in my place. Amen. It's kind of not a swing from the chandeliers kind of message, but I actually think it's going to help you make massive progress. There's been a Log jam and it's getting unstuck. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. Could we pray for our leadership team and bless them and tell them that we see them and tell them that we love them and tell them that we want to be led? <clears throat> I said that word. What do you see? I see one nodding heads and lots of smiles. Come on. More nodding heads or, or just like, no way, I'm not doing this. That's okay with me. Hi. I'm going with five nodding heads. That's, that's enough. Um, so, I think most, just uh, one's not here, I think. Martin's not here. Okay, Pete, could, could you come and just stand there, please? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, maybe we do it twice. Let's just really rub it in. <laughs> so, here's a guy called and anointed to lead this church. Come on. 
Exhibit A. Exhibit A. It's called a leader. You have, we have more than one, but this is this leader number one in this environment who actually his heart is to make it amazing for everybody, that everybody gets to play, everybody gets empowered, everybody does amazing. He's not here to sit on the pile and say, look at me. So I just really wanted to affirm him. I really feel heaven wanted to affirm him as, as the leader of the team that's leading this church. Yeah. Can we do that together? Yeah. I think it would be a really powerful moment if we can do that. Yeah. In one sense, he doesn't need your agreement, but it really helps. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so we're going to pray for him. And it'd be really cool if the rest of the team, the, the senior team, just come and gather around, Pete, if you would. And those of you not in senior team, do you want to just stretch your hands out to Pete? And we're going to pray a fresh release. We're going to pray for a fresh release of a scary word called authority, but in a good way. Is that, are you with it? So I would love you to start to pray for a fresh release of authority on and through Pete to take this body forward. Heavenly Father, right now we pray for a fresh release of the dynamic of leadership gift in this church. <clears throat> Thank you for what's deposited in this man, Pete. Thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you for his service. Thank you for his heart. But we just want to say we recognize you as the man that in this season God has called and appointed to lead this community and lead, lead the leaders of this community. Lord Jesus, thank you for the grace. Thank you for the for the kindness, thank yeah. you for the wisdom, yeah. thank you for the creativity that lives yeah. right here. Yeah. Amen. Thank yeah. you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So fresh authority right now, Father. Yeah. Huh. Can we just say together, we release fresh authority to you, Pete. Ready? We release fresh authority to you, Pete. Yeah. Yeah. 